I'm Leo Benedictus, and this is a full fact short investigation into lockdown scepticism. Lockdown sceptics are, I suppose, a, a, a disparate group of people who essentially, in a broad sense, doubt whether the lockdowns that we've had were a good idea. Of course, there are a lot of different reasons why you might doubt that. You might simply say they were effective in stopping the, the outbreak of the virus, but they did more harm than good. That's something that Nigel Farage has said, for example. It's something that people who support the Great Barrington Declaration have said. That's a scheme which suggests not locking down, but just trying to protect high-risk people and letting the virus spread among everybody else. So there are arguments there which are about lockdowns not being worth it, but then there are other arguments, which are the, the main focus of, of this piece that I've written, which say that lockdowns don't even work. So they aren't actually effective at stopping a coronavirus outbreak, or at the very least that other things work just as well. So you never need to use a lockdown. So like, what, people wash their hands, that will do the job on its own or something like that, which is not true. That's broadly the kind of the group of things you might call lockdown skepticism. And you've identified a few influential sceptics. Yeah, I mean, I think I think many people will already know some of who these people are. The main figures that are, uh, the claims that they make, more importantly, rather than them as people that, that I talk about in the article are a, a public speaker and author called Ivor Cummins, who made one, who's made many YouTube videos, but one in particular that's been very, very widely watched by about a million and a half people. Peter Hitchens, who is a columnist uh, at The Mail and... Also, a man called Dr. Mike Yeadon, who has appeared on talk radio quite a few times, has written a long blog on lockdown skeptics. Julia Hartley Brewer has, has interviewed Mike Yeadon and Ipa Cummins on her talk radio show, uh, and she seems to share many of their views. So what evidence do they have to support their argument that it doesn't work, lockdowns don't work? I think the main focus for this discussion is the first lockdown that we actually had. So... As everyone will know, in the UK, we had a lockdown starting uh, on March the 23rd in, in 2020. And shortly after that, we can see that the number of people catching coronavirus every day fell pretty fast across the country. I suppose what you might call the official, the mainstream understanding of what happened there is that because everyone was forced to stay at home by law and businesses were closed and schools were closed, there were very few opportunities for people to catch the coronavirus off each other. So that stopped happening and therefore the number of daily infections went down a great deal. But some of the sceptics, including, I suppose, Mike Eden and Ivor Cummins, make a different argument. They say that, in fact, the epidemic basically petered out of its own accord because of an unseen level of immunity to the virus in the population. That is, I suppose, one of those arguments that is, you have to say, theoretically possible, because what they're saying is that most people were immune to the coronavirus before, before it even appeared. So they couldn't possibly have caught it. And that therefore, even though we can see that most people didn't catch it, that doesn't mean that it was stopped by the lockdown it stopped because it ran out of people to infect, is their argument. There are very good reasons to say that that's not true, however. Well, this, the second wave, you would think, would argue that. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is one very good reason to say that that's not true. That their argument, and I, I think Mike Eden has said that the pandemic in the UK is fundamentally over. I think he said that earlier in the autumn. Ivor Cummins, from memory, also said that the, the pandemic was effectively over in Europe. There wasn't going to be a second wave. Now. 
they then have other arguments to explain why we did have a second wave, which often boils down to PCR testing, the details of how tests find cases of coronavirus and therefore how doctors and statistics start to attribute the number of coronavirus deaths. And that is another kettle of fish, which I won't get into here. We've written about elsewhere that the rate of these supposed false positives, it is it is simply way too low to explain what they're saying. And in any case, we can see people at this, the end of this year, they have actually been dying in far greater numbers from the coronavirus again. So clearly those people were not immune to it. And the argument that immunity is what what made the epidemic stop in the spring does, doesn't really hold any water. Forgive this because it's quite facile, but what evidence suggests that lockdowns work? Because of course it, it makes sense that fewer contacts means fewer transmissions of the virus. But what evidence supports that that is in fact what happens? I mean, I actually think that that's a really important question to ask, uh, not a facile one at all. I think that insisting on seeing the evidence for this stuff, even if it seems obvious, is very important. We're not just saying something because it's obvious. We are saying something because there's evidence behind it. In this case, the evidence actually, I think, is, is best shown by looking at what happened when, the things we can actually measure and the things that are not ambiguous, really. So if you look at lockdown one in the spring, we know that lots of people caught the coronavirus, but we don't know how many or where they were or who, because we didn't have enough tests at the time to know who actually had it. So the best way of trying to judge how many people had coronavirus at the time is to judge how many people sadly died. People who are seriously ill were much more likely to be tested. So we do have better idea of that. And also they've each individually been assessed by doctors who have made judgments on whether they died with COVID. So we have a reasonably good sense of, of how many people died with COVID in the spring. And by measuring the number of people who died with COVID each day in different parts of the country, we can have a sense of how many people actually had it. You know, if we know that, let's say, 1% of people who catch it die, then if 10 people die, then 1,000 people caught it, very, very, very roughly speaking. So you can use the number of deaths to judge how many people were actually catching it at any given time. And one thing we can see, if we look at the number of deaths, and of course those are all recorded pretty effectively and you can you can look them up yourself on the ONS website we look at those number of deaths in each region of England we just talk about England for the moment because it's it's simpler then you can see that the number of deaths from covid go up very fast as you go through march and that of course is what you would expect if the number of people catching the coronavirus is going up very fast through march when you get to march 23rd that's the day that the lockdowns announced the number of deaths keeps going up. That again is sadly what you would expect because of course it takes a bit of time between catching coronavirus and dying. If someone caught coronavirus on March the 22nd, lockdown might be announced the next day but it's it's not going to make any difference to them. They've already caught it and if they're going to die, they're going to die two, three weeks later on average. Even if you really radically stop the number of people catching it each day on the 23rd of March, you won't see the effect of that in the number of deaths for, for two or three weeks. But you can now sort of make a prediction, which is, well, if the lockdown on the 23rd of March made a very big difference, then you would expect to see a very big difference in the number of people dying each day two or three weeks later. And that is exactly what you see. When you look at the numbers, which is something I've done in this article, it's best really shown in a chart which i which i can't explain then you can see that two or three weeks after the, the 23rd of march the number of people dying each day starts to fall very 
dramatically. Now, essentially what Ivor Cummings in particular in his, his most famous video is saying is, I don't think he uses the word coincidence, but he's basically saying that that's a coincidence. He's saying that the reason why the number of people dying each day from coronavirus fell really dramatically at that point is because it had run out of people to infect. He says that lots of people were already immune because of exposure to other coronaviruses and various other things. And so by the time you get to early April, the peak of the deaths in, in England, the virus has already infected almost everyone that it can. And that's why it runs out of new infections. And that's why the deaths start to fall two or three weeks later. So as far as he's concerned, the lockdown isn't really what's making the difference there. But there is a very good way to not quite prove, but almost certainly show that he is wrong about that. Apart from what an obvious coincidence it is, which um, you know, I'm sure you can immediately uh, appreciate, there is the question of how this plays out in different regions of England. So we know and we can see that London was affected first. I'm sure many people will remember that, that, that London, it really took off a bit earlier than everywhere else, which is, you know, is, is, I suppose very, a very obvious thing to expect. London is probably the most connected to the rest of the world, part of the UK, and it has a, a large, uh, fairly densely populated area. So, so, you know, the idea that it would take off first there makes a kind of intuitive sense. And you can see that the number of deaths each day happening in London from the coronavirus goes up and up and up very, very fast through March. But not that long afterwards, you can see the number of deaths in coronavirus each day going up in the different regions of England as well. And that could be, I suppose, so far consistent with what uh, Ivor Cummins says. But then there's a, there's a problem, which is by the time they all turn around, all the, the, the curves of the number of deaths each day happening in the different regions of England start to fall again. They all fall at the same time and at different levels. So in London, a much higher proportion of people is catching it each day and catches it in total than in the southwest of England, for example. That doesn't really make any sense from a herd immunity point of view, which would be his argument, because it seems like, and we can see this from antibody surveys as well, when, where people have, have done large numbers of blood tests in London and the southwest and the rest of the country to detect not everyone necessarily who's had coronavirus, but at least to, to be able to measure a sort of minimum number of people who've had the coronavirus. And we can see that the, the number of people who've had it in London is much higher than it is in the southwest. So if the epidemic stopped because it ran out of people to infect in London, then why did it stop much earlier in the southwest? It stopped after infecting far more people in London as a proportion than it, than it did as a proportion of the southwest. So that, that doesn't really make any sense. I can't see why the herd immunity threshold would be much lower in the southwest than it is in London. Maybe there's an ingenious theory you could come up with to explain that, but it doesn't really make any sense. And then you've got this other problem, which is, okay, so maybe maybe the, the virus was spreading differently in the southwest from how it was in London. That's, I suppose, possible. And it, it's, you can see the number of deaths per day rising more slowly. But if it was going to reach a point where it ran out of people to infect and then slowed down, then why did it reach that point on this, you know, for almost the same you know, in the same week as the peak in London? Why did it stop at the same time? And you can see this in almost every region. I mean, it's not, it's not absolutely perfect. It's not literally the same day everywhere, but it's, it's within the exact window of two or three weeks that, that you would expect in, in basically every region of England. And that is consistent with a national change, which is what, you know, the national lockdown was. 
So when you look at the different regions of England, you can see them all behaving slightly differently, some going up faster, some slower, some starting later, some starting earlier, but then they all turn around and start to fall around about the same time, within a few days of each other, around about when you'd expect after a national lockdown that affects all of them is announced. So finally, can we have the main takeaways from this investigation then? It is, I think, really important, even when something sounds unlikely, to study it, to consider whether or not it might be true, especially with this, which is a new virus we knew so little about. All sorts of things are possible. Maybe loads of people were, to some extent, immune against it in a way that we didn't understand. That's possible. But when you look at this evidence and you can see what's happened with the number of daily deaths falling almost exactly when you'd expect them to in almost exactly at the same time in every region of England after lockdown, then it is obvious that that would be caused by the lockdown and very unlikely that it would be happening for some coincidental reason that we'd have to think up to explain it. And that's essentially where the lockdown skeptics come in. They, they've made some ingenious arguments, cherry picking pieces of possible fringe science here and there that could conceivably explain this in another way when there is a very obvious way to explain it staring us right in the face and it, to me that's what we're looking at the lockdown obviously stopped the infections from spreading so fast and the other explanations just don't hold any water as, as far as i see it although proving that they definitely didn't happen is is, is probably impossible